0: section two of the early hanoverians by edward ellis morris this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. book one chapter two george the first on the death of queen anne on an eventful sunday morning august first seventeen fourteen both the privy council and the house of commons met Messengers were at once sent to convey the news to Hanover. Fast travelling brought them there in less than five days. But George, who was heir to the crown, did not hasten to take up the great inheritance that had fallen to him. He was not young, and he was never an impulsive man. The weight of his fifty-four years and the natural slowness of his German character cooperated, perhaps, with a certain measure of policy that dictated. Looking before leaping, the new king took time to consider how he should act with respect to the English ministers and English parties before plunging into their midst. Meanwhile, in his name, all steps were being taken to ensure a quiet accession, and the hopes and fears which the anticipation of the queen's death had excited were alike calmed. A Jacobite bishop offered, in his lawn sleeves, to proclaim King James the Third at Charing Cross and when his friends refused to act with him, declared that the finest possible opportunity had been lost for want of spirit. George I, whom circumstances and the act of settlement had thus called to be king of Great Britain and Ireland, had been a sovereign prince for sixteen years, during which time he had been elector of Brunswick-Luneburg. He was the second who ever bore that title. By right of his father he was elector it was by right of his mother that he now became ruler of the united kingdom the father was ernest augustus sovereign bishop of Osnaburg, who at the death of his elder brothers had become duke of hanover and then duke of brunswick and lüneburg in sixteen ninety two he was raised by the emperor to the dignity of elector the other electors were indignant at the emperor's claim in such an arbitrary manner to add to their number and for nearly sixteen years during which period one election to the empire had taken place the electors refused any recognition of the new voice then they yielded whether the emperor acted strictly legally is disputed amongst those who are learned in that intricate subject the law of the holy roman empire but that he acted in accordance with sound motives of policy admits of no dispute louis the fourteenth was dangerous to europe and the grand alliance against him wanted all the help that could be obtained it was feared that hanover was wavering and that her troops might be on the side of france the promotion of the duke to be elector was the price paid to keep hanover upon the right side doubtless king william the third the very soul of the earlier grand alliance approved of the price paid though at that time so many stood nearer in the english succession than the princes of the house of hanover that there seemed no probability that the electorate would prove for that family only a step to the higher dignity the throne of england the mother of george i was sophia usually known as the electress sophia the title was merely one of honour and only meant wife of an elector this princess was twenty-seven when she married ernest augustus afterwards first elector of brunswick luneburg and she was as famous for her beauty and her wit as he was for his courtly manner the marriage took place a couple of years before the restoration of the stuarts to england and amid the general joy with which that event was hailed in england no notice was there taken of the birth of a little prince great-grandson of one english king son of the first cousin of the restored monarch the electress sophia was the daughter of elizabeth daughter of king james i and frederick the elector palatine the princess elizabeth was one of the most beautiful of women she inspired enthusiasm in the breasts of english poets and of german princes Witness the beautiful and well-known verses by sir henry wotton to elizabeth of bohemia witnessed the enthusiasm with which wearing her glove christian of brunswick in the spirit of a crusading knight engaged in that most unchivalrous of wars called for its weary length the thirty years war in which he won for himself the title god's friend and parson's foe her husband frederick the elector palatine was elected by the protestants of bohemia to be their king The house of austria claimed that the right of election was merely nominal and that the bohemians were bound as of course to elect the head of that house this they probably would have done had it not been a prominent roman catholic prince suspected of intending a policy of persecution in his hereditary dominions and in bohemia if he gained it as well as in his position of emperor to which he was now elected frederick on election went to prague but his reign in Bohemia was very short. He is known in history as the Winter King, because one winter was the duration of his reign. In the Battle of the White Mountain, outside his capital Prague, the Austrians defeated him. They drove him not only from the kingdom of Bohemia, but from his electorate also, and gave the palatinate to a staunch adherent of the emperor's cause, the Duke of Bavaria. This may be described as the first act in that terrible religious war, the Thirty Years' War. The animosity felt throughout Germany between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants had prepared the train for an explosion. This dispute in Bohemia fired it. Whilst the war continued, Frederick, with his beautiful Queen Elizabeth, remained landless and homeless, but at the Peace of Westphalia, which closed it, he was not forgotten. In the spirit of conciliation and compromise that then prevailed, it was felt that the electorate could not be taken from Bavaria. It was decided, therefore, that part of the palatinate should be restored to Frederick, and an eighth electorate created. Forty-four years later, a ninth electorate was established in favour of his son-in-law, the Duke of Hanover. During almost the whole of Queen Anne's reign, the electress sophia was her legal heir naturally she took the keenest interest in english politics and is said to have declared that she would die happy if she could know that queen of england would be engraven on her coffin two months however before the english throne became vacant the princess sophia was taking exercise in the trim gardens of herrenhausen agitated it is said by a letter which she had just received from queen anne resenting the proposal that prince george the electoral prince should go to england she was walking too quickly and fell down dead of heart disease the new royal house in england is sometimes called the house of hanover sometimes the house of brunswick it will be found that the latter name is more generally used in histories written during the last century the former in books written in the present day if the names were equally applicable the modern use is the more convenient, because there is another, and in some respects well-known branch of the House of Brunswick, but no other has a right to the name of Hanover. It is, however, quite certain that whatever the English use may be, Hanover is properly the name of a town and of a duchy, but that the electorate was Brunswick-Luneburg. During the last few weeks of Queen Anne's reign, the heir was prayed for in the liturgy of the church of england as the duke of brunswick a petition substituted for that for the princess sophia the house of brunswick was of noble origin tracing itself back to a certain guelph d'este, nicknamed the robust son of an italian nobleman who had been seeking his fortunes in germany guelph married judith widow of the english king harold who fell on the hill of senlac pierced in the eye When the english were routed in the battle of hastings one of guelph's descendants later married maude the daughter of king henry ii probably the most powerful king in europe of his day at whose persuasion the emperor conferred on the guelphs the duchy of brunswick the son of this marriage became for a short time emperor at a time when the guelphs gained the upper hand in germany and fourteenth in descent from this same marriage is ernest augustus first elector of brunswick luneburg more than once the territories of the house of brunswick were divided and sometimes into several fragments but by failure of heirs the parts were reunited the story is told that the grandfather of ernest augustus by name duke william the pious had seven sons who seeing that if the territories were subdivided their influence would vanish agreed that one only of them should marry and that the dice selected his son george he in turn had four sons who divided their territories though they made a compact somewhat similar to that of the previous generation the whole was joined together once more under the youngest brother ernest augustus ernest augustus the first elector was nineteen at the date when the peace of westphalia put an end to the thirty years war and fifty-nine when William of Orange landed at Torbay, a Scotch gentleman much given to travelling, who was English consul at Amsterdam, and who published in that city in the year of the English Revolution, 1688, an account of his travels, gives us some insight into the court of Hanover. Here, he says, I had the honour to kiss the hands of the Princess Royal Sophia, youngest sister to the late Prince Rupert. Her Highness has the character of the Mary de Bonaire Princess of Germany, a lady of extraordinary virtue and accomplishments. She is mistress of the Italian, French, high and low Dutch, and English languages, which she speaks to perfection. Her husband has the title of the gentleman of Germany, a graceful and comely prince, both on foot and on horseback, civil to strangers beyond compare, infinitely kind and beneficent to people in distress and known in the world for a valiant and experienced soldier i had the honour to see his troops which without controversy are as good men and commanded by as expert officers as any are in europe god hath blessed the prince with a numerous offspring having six sons all gallant princes of whom the two eldest signalized themselves so bravely at the raising of the siege of vienna that as an undoubted proof of their valour they brought three turks home to this court prisoners he is a gracious prince to his people and keeps a very splendid court having in his stables for the use of himself and children fifty-two sets of coach-horses he himself is lutheran but as his subjects are christians of different persuasions nay and some of them are jews too so both in his court and army he entertains gentlemen of various opinions and countries as italian abbots and gentlemen that serve him and many calvinist french officers neither is he so bigoted in his religion but that he and his children go many times to church with the princess who is calvinist and join with her in her devotion his country is good having gold and silver mines in it and his subjects live well under him mr consul Kerr, when he penned these remarks did not think that some twenty-six years later he would himself be in hanover congratulating the duke of that place then an elector on his accession to the crown of the united kingdom the portrait of ernest augustus can be seen in contemporary prints looking majestic and dignified with a very formidable wig and anything but a mild expression of countenance the elector died ten years after mr kerr published his account and was succeeded in 1698 by his son, George Lewis, afterwards, George I of England. There was no division of territories between the six gallant princes, because Ernest Augustus, seeing that his newly won electoral dignity must be suitably maintained, had established the right of primogeniture. In the language of an old writer, a councillor of Hanover, he gave a remarkable proof of his superior judgment as well as of his concern for the welfare of his family by effectually putting a stop to the pernicious custom that had hitherto prevailed in his house of dividing and cantling out the dominions belonging to it at the death of queen anne king george was fifty-four years of age and had been elector sixteen years his son afterwards king george the second was nearly thirty-one his grandson frederick who died as prince of wales the father of george the third and great-grandfather of queen victoria was then within ten days of seven the new king was five years older than the queen who had just died it is a fact not generally known that he had once been a suitor for her hand in the winter of sixteen eighty he paid a visit to england an account of which he wrote to his mother in germany i saw the princess of york the lady anne and i saluted her by kissing her with the consent of the king charles the second notwithstanding this salute he was not very cordially received by his english cousins nor did the lady anne not yet sixteen look with favour on his suit during his stay he received an honorary doctor's degree from the university of cambridge but he was soon recalled by a letter from his father who for family reasons Wished him to marry a cousin nearer home. Two and a half years after his departure, the Lady Anne married Prince George of Denmark and was very fond of her dull husband, who died some six years before her. End of section two.